Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 274, and today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, FreshBooks, and Text Expander from Smile. My name is Mike Hurley, and I am joined by Jason Snell. Hello, Jason Snell. Hello, Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very well, my friend. Happy Thanksgiving. I hope you had a happy one. Oh, thank one. you. Yes, it was delightful. You great. Know, good having a four-day weekend. Love it. How How is Thanksgiving in England? It's great, because I get special time off, because everyone I work with is not working. So that's mm-hmm. lovely for me. Well, nobody wants to hear about that. Nobody especially wants to hear about what Thanksgiving's like in England. Uh, so let's go to our hashtag Snell Talk question. It comes from Joel. Joel wants to know, do you let someone touch or take your phone when scanning a ticket, boarding pass, or coupon? My precious. My precious. You mm-hmm. cannot have my precious. <laughs> um, yeah, you know what? I I prefer to just scan it myself like I go to the airport and I get to the security and I just lay it down on the little scanner and I hold it out and have it kind of like get the when I'm boarding the plane. I, I prefer to do that myself. Mm-hmm. If they want to take the phone and scan it because it, I'm not getting the angle right or whatever, I'm fine with it. It's fine. I, I don't care. I don't have some weird like, oh, don't, touch, touch not my iPhone. I, I don't care. Mike? My- thing with this is my typical thing like in in airports which is in airports you you lose all of your ability to do anything right like you lose your dignity your individualism because you want to get on the plane and airport situations are such that it feels like at any moment someone could deny you to get on the plane so Uh if somebody reaches their hand out to take my phone my phone goes into their hand. Like it's thank, thank it's you, sir. May I have another? Yes. Yep. I don't want to give them my phone, but I feel like I have to because I don't want to be seen as causing trouble. So, airports are the worst. Thanks, Joel, for that hashtag Snell Talk question. If you would like to help us open an episode of the show, just send out a tweet with the hashtag Snell Talk, and it may be kept for a future episode. Last time, last warning. Warning? Maybe isn't right. But uh, Dongletown merch at UpgradeYourWardrobe.com. It is basically available for one more day after you hear this. Today is the 2nd of December. Uh, Tomorrow is the 3rd of December, and it will go off sale at like midnight, uh, I think UK time. So if you're hearing this and you haven't yet gone to UpgradeYourWardrobe.com to get one of our Dongletown t-shirts, you need to do it now because we don't know when or if ever they will be back on sale. So UpgradeYourWardrobe.com. Yeah, it's uh, 5 p.m. Pacific, so 8 p.m. Eastern on Tuesday, December 3rd. That's when it ends. So do not wait. Do, do it not wait at all. Would be do it now or regret it forever, or at least until next year. Forever. Mm-hmm. So uh, on ATP, Marco took our follow out and followed <laughs> out back to us. So. They were talking the streams. No, (laughs) they were talking a couple of weeks ago about John preparing the way. You then spoke about preparing your way. Marco (laughs) then thought he would talk about lamps. So let's close the loop. What is the lighting situation like in our offices? Oh, oh, it's lamp talk. Hashtag lamp talk. Excellent, Mm -hmm. excellent. Um, Well, I I don't know about you, but. I thought it was funny because it's it's just this all this conversation was going on, uh, and I was listening to ATP on the first kind of like really dark and rainy day here in California, and I'm I'm listening to Marco talk about how he doesn't think his office has enough light while sitting in a garage with a single floor lamp, thinking, "Wow, it's really dark in here. 
I need more light. And it wasn't that Marco influenced me. It was more like I noticed and then I listened to Marco and I laughed because he was he was describing the situation I had just recognized about my new office that I got set up that we talked about last week. I mean, new office. It's The wall is orange. The shade of orange is in the show notes. But the lighting thing, it's totally true. I need more light in here. Um, there are, especially for like darker, darker days, like it can get really dark and cave-like in here. Um, and... So I'm trying to figure out what that is going to be. And I'm not quite sure. I don't have a ceiling per se. I have some beams and then I have like insulation in this garage. So I'm not quite sure. I can actually mount things on the beams fairly easily. I actually have a video light up there, which is more for me than to light the room so people can see me when I do video stuff. But um, I am thinking about like I need another light either hanging from the ceiling or maybe aimed at the orange wall to give me a pleasant kind of glow from the orange wall. Right now, I actually have a a hue strip, light strip, that I had um, on the back of a piece of furniture in my office. I've actually got it kind of like hanging over um, along the the wall. Um, And that that is more for demonstration purposes of like, what would it be like if it was well lit over here? Mm -hmm. And the answer is, I like it. And I definitely need more light over there. But having the kind of randomly snaking uh, hue strip is probably not a long-term solution no. since it's super ugly but but the light it puts out is quite pleasant so i i'm thinking now maybe i i do want something that's kind of high up and pointed at the wall so it can kind of bounce off the wall but but anyway so that's my lighting story is that i i'm with marco i actually do need more light in my office so i don't feel like i'm um in the winter especially like working in a cave it's uh not great it's it's fine when it's uh the sunny summery time and the the sun is shining in my my big window but uh this time of year that doesn't happen i i'm a big fan of the phillips hue stuff i like those we have them dotted around the house and some lamps and uh, we have a lot of like ceiling lighting which is just the whatever random ceiling lighting we have sure uh in my office uh i have a a, just a a kind of a bulb hanging from the ceiling with a bb8 lampshade around it which is Uh fun um, it's just a paper lampshade and it looks like BB-8 and I've forgotten that that existed until I just looked up at my light because it's just, <laughs> it's just a part of the room and has been for right. a long time uh, but I have that and then um, I ha- we used to say we have multiple Hue products I have a couple in the office I have one of those light strips uh, stuck to the outside edge of my desk which is just a fun thing so it can light huh. up the wall that's in front of me because my desk is against the wall and right. I also have one of those uh, lamps as well so whenever I do video stuff like just the little kind of like half like like ball lamps that they do I can't even remember what they're called now but it looks like a a ball that they've cut in half effectively and you can just move it around okay. and it has a battery in it so you can unplug it um I have one of those as well uh, which is just used for if I'm ever doing video stuff. So I like the Hue stuff. I like being able to talk to it. I like that it can change colors. It's not the brightest, but I don't need more than what it gives. Hmm. Yeah, I definitely I definitely need more lighting in here. I do have everything as, uh, on a smart something or other. My floor lamp, which is... Uh, th- this floor lamp was in our house when I was a kid. Like, it's an old floor lamp. I don't know where it came from. I don't know when we got it. It's it's very old. But it's the floor lamp that was in our living room. My wife reminded me um, the other day that uh, that we put uh, overhead lights in our living room when we did our uh, kitchen remodel. We also put lights in the living room. And the reason for that was that we, we had no lights 
in the living room except this little floor lamp that I've got in here now and it wasn't enough light. And so when I commented that it wasn't enough light for the garage, she said, we already learned this lesson um, that it's it's not enough. So I'm going to have to deal with that. But uh, what's nice about it is that I have a, a smart switch. I have actually a Philips, um, one of their push buttony switches that has no battery. Yep. Um, I have one of those at the door so I can turn on my floor lamp because it's on a smart switch. Um, when I'm walking in, I don't have to walk over to the lamp and and flip it around and turn it to the brightest setting or anything. It's just on, um, on that. And then the other smart lights are also on that. So if I want to turn on the, the the hue strip, uh, if I want to turn on the lava lamp that I that uh, my daughter got rid of, that I was like, I would like a lava lamp. Sometimes it's fun. Um, that's those are all on those buttons, which is great. Um, so whatever I get to to amplify the light in here will either be a smart fixture or it'll be plugged in to an outlet and controlled that way. So there you go. Are we done now? Do you think we've wrapped around enough? Lighting, bendy, straw, reverse, super double reverse, uh, follow out, uh, side follow. So thanks. It's now next up. Uh, I don't know what, maybe Casey can talk about his garage door opener. That's... Well, we'll see where the, where this goes. I don't have a garage or a door to open. Yeah, it's pronounced garage. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> uh, if you would like to hear more about uh, Tim Cook and Donald Trump, then you should listen to episode 270 of The Talk Show. Uh, features Matthew Iglesias, Iglesias as the uh, special guest. Very, very good episode. Very good conversation. Um, if you did enjoy our discussion last week and or just want to know more about this uh, from somebody who is much more, uh, much deeper into the political side of things, like Matthew Glazer, who works for Vox, uh, mm-hmm. I thoroughly recommend this episode. It's a very, very, very good discussion. I'm I'm surprised that we, uh, we touched the third rail a little bit last week and uh, didn't really get any complaints, which nope. is uh, I amazing. I think that we did a great job, not to our own horn, but <laughs> okay. I think we did a really right. great job of of only touching on the things that we should. We didn't go too far in any direction. I think we kept it pretty fair, and I was I was really happy with how the conversation came out. Yeah. So, well done us, basically, is what okay. I'm saying. All right. Well done us. All right. Uh, Johnny is gone mm-hmm. He's gone. Johnny's gone. So that's 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 Sir Ghani. Sir Ghani, he's gone. Johnny's gone. If you go to the, uh, this happened over the Thanksgiving uh, weekend, which is the perfect time to do something like this, I guess. Uh, Sir Johnny Ive was removed from Apple's uh, executive leadership page, so he just doesn't exist there anymore. Um, there were no other changes. Uh, Evans Hankey and Alan Dye have not been added as vice presidents to the page. Um, th- Alan Dyer was actually previously on this page when uh, they did that big reshuffle and Johnny kind of like moved to a more over like overseeing role and they split design into like uh, user experience, user interface. I think that was it was like UI and hardware. Uh, yeah. Alan Dyer appeared on the leadership page, but then got removed when they kind of reshuffled that again. Um, but there is no design leadership role on this page. Uh, I said in our document for the first time in a very long time, Jason had a note that says since the page has existed, which is an even better point. Yeah, right? Like this page hasn't existed for as long as Johnny Ive has been a senior leader at Apple. So it, it goes back um, way further than that. And I, I don't actually know. I mean, he, he's been there so long, so long. Before Jobs came back. 
Yes, I mean, yeah, there there was he designed he he had a hand at least in designing the Emate, which was the Newton laptop. <laughs> right? It had translucent plastic and stuff. It was him experimenting with some of the materials that would end up becoming a big hit in the iMac. So he's been there a long time and this is a big uh, a big change. It goes beyond like it predates there being web pages for Apple for stuff like this. Yeah, which is kind of wild, right? Yeah. Like, but so, you know, he's gone. He's not that's listed it. there in any capacity. That That's it. I was going to say the final shoe dropped, but there have been so many shoes. I don't know. The shoes are all, the shoes are all on the ground now and the laces are on the ground and they've had time to settle. And it's like the last final move of his departure. The long, slow fade has, has faded all the way out now, I guess. Mm-hmm. It's fine. It's been happening a long time. It's good to get to the end of it. According to podcasting industry newsletter, Inside Podcasting, Apple have hired National Geographic's former director of podcasting, Emily Oxenslager. Um, that's the name I'm going with. I, I, I've... Yeah, I think you I think you might have nailed it. Yeah, maybe. We'll see. Uh, Oxenslager had previously worked at NPR in both reporter and producer roles. Apparently, this is the first of, quote, many content hires in the coming weeks. So we spoke about this a while ago, the idea that Apple could be breaking into the original podcasts game. It was mm-hmm. previously a report from Bloomberg. They are now hiring in a way that would suggest that, yes, they are most definitely doing that. Yeah. So I think it. what we don't know is the form that this might take, because there are some very simple ways that this could take where Apple has decided as a leader in the podcast medium to, make, to produce some podcasts, perhaps even related to other stuff it's doing. For example... Um, what about producing a run of podcasts for all of its Apple TV plus programming? Yep. Right. Like that's a, the, the, um, the Chernobyl podcast was really great. HBO has now decided they're going to do podcasts for everything because it was so well received. Um, the good place podcast is really great. Like podcasts to, uh, you know, get people even more engaged with your with your programming is a good idea. So there's that, right? Who would do that? Apple would do that. I mean, they might not work in house. They don't wouldn't necessarily have to, but you'd need in house people involved and somehow. And and Apple having you know control issues, let's say, it wouldn't be surprising if they they built it like that. They could be building uh, premium stuff that is like the Spotify stuff. That's like if you're not an Apple TV or an Apple Music subscriber, you don't get it. It's possible that they're doing something like that. I also kept thinking about like other ways that they could do this. Um, they could make things uh, podcast app only, which seems really weird, but they uh, could do that to Apple, reward people in the podcast app. If anybody out there listening to the show has any say in this, you don't have to publicize it. You don't have to make a big thing out of it, but just make these things available in other applications. Yeah. Well, I think that this is the one of the big questions is, does Apple build apple is such a leader in podcasting that you could make the argument that apple wants to make some of its own podcasts and that's the point of it and it's not to like wall it off inside something although i did think about like i don't know could there be like an apple news plus podcast right that something something that's journalism related or a, a couple of those things like the new york times is daily that come out of the apple um news uh editorial organization because there is one and would that be a thing that they would use to promote Apple News Plus and give away for free? Um, or would that be a thing for Apple News Plus subscribers? Because I could see it either way. I mean, I could argue given, and we're going to talk about what's going on with Apple News Plus in a little bit, like 
using it to promote Apple News Plus might be a better use of that than to wall it off. But uh, there are, so there are, I guess what I'm saying is there are a lot of different ways they could go here, and we don't know which way they're going to go, but uh, it sounds like they're, one way or another, Apple is hiring people to make podcasts, public podcasts for Apple, and what form it takes, you know, it remains to be seen. It's kind of a fascinating question. And Adobe have shared a roadmap of features coming to Photoshop for iPad. Um, there's a list of stuff here that I don't really understand enough because I'm not a Photoshop user. But basically, they've published some uh, blog posts talking about the features that they want to add uh, going from 2019 and into 2020. Uh, I think it's really great to see them being public, right? Like Adobe has faced criticism for Photoshop for iPad for not being complete enough. And people are like, oh, you lied. You're not doing a real version. And Adobe is saying, no, no, we really are, but this is just the start. So I think sharing the roadmap of the features that they are going to be adding only helps to signify to people, like, we are working on this. We are continuing to expand this. Right. They they definitely communicated their uh, priorities in going into the 1.0 version. Like, here, here are the reason we did those features first. And then they're like, by the end of the year, this. And then next year, we're planning on doing these features. And it's not like a feature. It's like a section of Photoshop that they're going to be bringing over. Um, and yeah, that needs to be communicated because they need to have their users understand where they're going and the rate of uh, improvement that they're planning on on the iPad version of Photoshop. I did use Photoshop on the iPad for the first time at length on the weekend, um, basically doing a dumb Photoshop to reply to a thread from Joe Steele and Todd Vaziri, uh, just to say, say, like, this is a thing that I could Photoshop very quickly on my Mac, but I was sitting on the couch watching a college football game and uh, had my iPad and my office was very cold because I didn't have the heater turned on. And I thought, I'm not going to go out there and leave the leave the warm confines of my couch in order to do this stupid joke in Photoshop. I've got Photoshop on the iPad. Let's see if I can make it work. And the answer was, I could make it work more or less as I went. I, I figured out what the tools, the analogs of my Mac tools were, and I was able to do a you know, passable job with a dumb Photoshop uh, thing. And could I have used another iPad tool? Sure. But I thought, let's let's try this. And would this work? And the answer was, yes, I can confirm really dumb, bad Photoshop stuff uh, can be done on the iPad. So hooray for that. And we'll see where it goes from here. Don't forget, you can cast your votes for the Upgradies. Go to upgradies.vote. And there's a form that you can fill in. Uh, please fill it in with your nominations for our categories in the Upgradies, the sixth annual Upgradies. And if you want to get some inspiration, see maybe who has won in the past, you can always go to Upgradies.com for previous winners of the Upgradies. But Upgradies.vote is the place sixth. to go. Sixth. Sixth. Upgrades. Did I get it right that time? Sixth? No, not really. <sighs> One day. It's fine. One day. One day. Should we take a break, Jason Snow? I think we should. All right. Let's thank our first sponsor for this week, and that is our friends over at 
Squarespace. Big fan of Squarespace. I've been using Squarespace for like, I don't know, 10 years probably. Make your next move with Squarespace. They let you easily create a website for your next idea. They give you all of the tools that you need to do it as well. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform. No matter what type of website you want to build, you can do it. There is nothing to install. There is nothing to patch, nothing to upgrade. And they have 24-7 customer support in case you need any help at all. They also have great uh, guides and documentation that I've used in the past as well to answer quick questions. If you want to create an online store, a portfolio, a blog, a site for your business, a site for your band, for an event, for a community group. Basically, if you want to create a website, go to squarespace.com upgrade and try it out for yourself right now. There is a no credit card required free trial. So you go there, free trial, no credit card needed. You can try it out. You can build your website. You can customize the template. You can make it look just how you want. Then when you're ready to launch that website out to the world, sign up for one of their plans. You can get 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and show your support for this show. So that is squarespace.com slash upgrade and then the code upgrade at checkout for 10% off your first purchase. Our thanks to Squarespace for their support of this show and all of Relay FM, Squarespace. Make your next move, make your next website. So yesterday evening, there was uh, a press release and I saw a bunch of tweets coming from a bunch of different places about a thing that affects me personally, which I'm very excited about. Um, There is a feature in Apple Pay on the iPhone and on the Apple Watch called Express Mode. This was previously used, I believe, only in Japan on their transit service. So it basically allowed for you to use Apple Pay, so you would use whatever device, without needing to authenticate with either Touch ID or Face ID. So it works basically like a debit or credit card because you don't do any authentication for those. You just tap it and go. Um, And yesterday evening, it was enabled for the TfL Transport for London service in the UK. So wherever we use the Oyster card or wherever we were previously using uh, Apple Pay, we can now use uh, the express mode. So what this means is now, like I I tried this out today, I took a bus today to go somewhere, and I just tapped my phone on the reader and that was it. It was faster because there was, I don't know exactly what it is that makes it quicker, but it was as fast as if I'd put a credit card down, which was not the case before, even after the authentication. It always took an extra second or so for the transaction to be authorized. So there's absolutely no delay and it works and I think it's fantastic. One of the really cool features people keep pointing out um, is that this feature will work even if your battery is dead on your device, which is wild. Yeah, so it must, and I don't know a lot about NFC, but I I feel like it's writing a, the NFC thing must be like a programmable um, radio tag where you can you can basically say here is the tag mm-hmm. and then turn and then turn it off and even mm-hmm. turn off the phone and at that point until you rewrite that tag that tag is just going to sit there so it doesn't actually have to use any power um, and it will be read just like the chip in your card would be read I'm, I'm keen to understand how exactly it works because i think it's taking a little bit of power because it will only work for five hours yeah, keep traveling up to five hours. So there's well, there's enough enough power to hold it or whatever, but they're mm-hmm. not like even if the battery dies. So you're 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 out late at night, your phone dies, you've got five hours where the card still works, which is yeah. pretty great. 
which is just it's just a nice thing to have right that like knowing that you still have that extra even uh-huh. if somehow your battery dies so it's just like a nice little feature but the real win here is that you don't have to do like face id and then tap or any like you don't have to do any authentication like yep. that you can just tap your phone and uh and go because i've said this a bunch of times my biggest downside for face id over touch id is needing to authenticate in that very like specific way when on public transport because with touch id you never had to look at your phone you could just right. take your phone out your pocket you're already holding the home button you double press the home button and it will work right because you're already authenticated but with face id you always have to bring your phone or look at your phone and i've always found that kind of frustrating because it was a it was a much clunkier way of authenticating um, but now I don't need to do that. I could just have my phone, tap it on, and go. And I just think this is a very nice, like, quality of life feature. And I'm very, very happy to see that this is making its way out to different places. This is used in a few other transit areas. Um, it's not just in London. I mean, I think when it started, it was just in one place. But now it's it's really it kind of stretched out a bit more. But I just think it's super awesome, and I'm very pleased that I have it now. Yeah. Also, um, Face ID not an issue, but uh, it works on Apple Watch as well. So mm-hmm. you don't have to double tap on an Apple Watch and then tap, which is what I do mostly when I'm doing Apple Pay stuff. So you can actually just um, do a quick tap and that's it. It's uh, it's done. That's pretty great. Um, and uh, yeah, I like that it's not, uh, what'd you say, more clunky or more clunky? Yeah, more clunky. Exactly. <laughs> More clunky. That's what he was saying. Is that uh, this is a more clunky way of dealing this? The safety on a Star Wars blaster is <laughs> um, more clunky. More clunky. I will. I will kill you before you kill me because your blaster is more clunky. clunky. Talking about clunky, let's talk about okay. Apple News. Oh, boom! Well, more oh, specifically, Apple News Plus. This is the Apple Services segment, isn't it? Yeah, it is. We're going to talk about some services stuff today. Yeah, okay. A few weeks ago, CNBC reported that Apple News Plus has struggled to grow its subscriber base. I think to nobody's surprise. So during the first 48 hours of launch, which was last March, uh, Apple was apparently able to attract around 200,000 customers for the free to the free trial period, but it has basically flatlined since then. So my assumption, they don't go into detail about this, but my assumption is they got like 200,000 people to sign up, a bunch said no, and then a bunch more people have signed up since, but they haven't really broken that initial figure of 200,000. That's the read that I take from that article. Um, as a reminder... Apple News Plus is $9.99 a month. I always forget this, and that just seems like so much money compared to other services that Apple have. And for Uh that $9.99 a month, you get access to over 300 publications, which include magazines, newspapers, and some online-only subscriptions. Um, Apple takes 50% of the revenue from each subscriber. Then the other 50% is shared amongst publishers based on engagement time. So the more time you spend reading a publication, the more money they will get. Uh, one publisher told CNBC they receive twenty to $30,000 a month, which is far less than expected, and is a very small amount of money for a large company, right? Like, uh-huh. that is not a lot of money for us from a service like this, Would I feel. Yes. Do, would you agree with that? I would agree with that. It's not a lot at all. Uh, Another publisher said their revenue has been climbing consistently and bringing them a new demographic of reader, but it's it's a slower growth uh, than they had anticipated. Financially, this seems like not good 
for anyone. Well, I just I feel like the model that works successfully for these for for the major publications is a direct subscription model. It's what I pay. I mean, I have a bunch. And I'm happy to pay The Athletic and New York Times and the San Francisco Chronicle and uh, the Washington Post and the San Jose Mercury News. And like there are you can pay them directly and you get access to all their content without the without getting annoyed or there being a paywall or, or something like that. And you can pay for Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or whatever. So then you look at Apple News Plus and you think, OK, well, it's a great deal because instead of paying for one, I can get a whole bunch for ten dollars a month. That's that's great. Except that's um that's not a great price for many of these new services that actually will give you a year for a, a much lower price than that but even if that is a decent price like you're only getting you're not getting the ones that you want necessarily unless you you're just getting kind of a spread of other ones and um the last time i visited apple news plus uh which was in the trial period because i canceled my trial the um the big problem with it is that the interface was atrocious that what apple wants to do is take apple news plus articles and then kind of like float them in along with your regular apple news articles and i don't use apple news and that's part of the problem i understand but i don't particularly like apple news and its interface and then this thing kind of sprinkles more in there i think it's actually a similar problem to the problem that you and i spoke about a few weeks ago about the tv app interface where apple is trying to do two things at once it's trying to be an aggregator of content from other people as well as a pusher of a premium product that's got content inside it and that's also in the case of apple news from other people but it's wrapped in apple service and that's difficult uh, from a user experience standpoint because sometimes you want to mix them all together uh, but you also want to kind of highlight out what are you paying for and here's what you're going to get and it's not not just kind of marketing it is literally like i want to see the stuff that i paid for i want to see the stuff that i i get because i'm a subscriber and apple news is still you know it's to to my last last time i checked anyway it's it's just kind of a mess and if you're a publisher you're not you're getting a fraction of what you would get for uh, direct so all the publishers that think that they're going to have a successful direct subscription system are not going to want to be a part of it um i don't know i don't know where they go from here i think i think this is uh, a tough product to make work like i pay for uh, access to the wall street journal and to bloomberg because they are two websites where like they publish stuff behind a paywall that i want to be able to read for myself because it's a lot of really good tech coverage and you pay for them directly? I pay for them directly. And I don't know. Like, can I, I don't even know. Can I get that through Apple News Plus? I don't even know. Well, my understanding is that the Wall Street Journal, I don't know about Bloomberg. The Wall Street Journal you can get in there, but they float up only certain articles. Although my it. understanding is that you can search and find other articles. And it's a way mm. that they're putting up a barrier so that it's better for you to pay them directly rather than be yep. a part of Apple News Plus. And this is it, right? Like, so Bloomberg, I can get Bloomberg Business Week, but does that, will that get me all of Mark Gurman's articles when he publishes? I don't them? think so. And I so this so. is so it's like I don't. It's not clear enough to me as a user as to whether I would be getting the content that I actually want to pay for out of it. But so that's why it's just like I've never even bothered because I don't. I don't care for everything else. Like I don't feel the great i don't feel a great requirement requirement to read x or y magazine i just i wouldn't 
So it would be a waste of money for me. And I think, honestly, I think like $9.99 is too much money, especially if Apple's taking 50% of it, which just seems like way yeah, too much. I, I feel like the the way this works for publishers is if it means they don't need to spend money, but the thing is it's too late. They all did this already. Mm-hmm. Spend money to make and then update their individual apps. Um. And major publishers are going to want complete control, but I could see small publishers saying, you know what, this is a lot of money we're spending on development. What if instead we just tell people that if they want access, they sign up for Apple News um, Plus and they'll get it there and it'll be super easy. In fact, I wonder I wonder if Apple's doing this behind the scenes. One of the things that if I were Apple, I would build is an API for news authentication so that if somebody, um, so basically you can read Apple News on the web, but you can also log in to a participating uh, company, media company's website with your ID. Like a single sign-on. Because idea. what that would, yeah, because what that would do is allow smaller publishers to just walk away from maintaining their own uh, stuff for this and say, if you want... You know, but they need to be able to have it be on the web too, and have it be related to that, so that they could get people who aren't using Apple devices. But that would be a way that Apple could maybe make it appealing to them, and in, in saying like, "Look, Apple's just going to handle all of this pay content stuff for you, and you can kind of walk away." Um, is that scary? Because Apple's in charge of your your strategy. Well, sure, but if you don't have the money to build the technology to compete with Apple's app, um, then maybe you could do that. But but from an Apple News Plus product perspective you are you know you're talking about uh the third tier stuff being in your in your service which is not great right so i don't know i I don't know this is this is perplexing to me this entire thing and it doesn't mean that people who don't like it aren't getting something out of it i think the more perplexing things are why the app isn't better and also what the business model is for publishers but I don't know. I, I, I joked about it last year, but I'll say it again. Part of me wonders why Apple isn't doing something um, as outlandish, but maybe necessary as buying some of these uh, flailing, often hedge fund purchased, falling apart newspapers and building its own sort of news network out of existing regional newspapers in the U.S., Um Maybe Apple doesn't want to be in the news business, but Apple's in the media business. And that would be one way to turn this around is to say Apple's going to save local news and it's going to pour it all into Apple News Plus and have that be this amazing journalism engine. But instead, they're just sort of like laying back and saying, here's a service we made. We take half of the money. Give it a try. And it's just I I just I don't I don't see a, a path forward here that makes sense to me. So a few days after the CNBC report. Uh, at the Cope Media Conference, Roger Lynch, who is the CEO of Condé Nast, who became CEO after Condé Nast had entered into their agreement with Apple News Plus. He didn't arrange it. Uh, Lynch said that the jury is out on whether News Plus will be a success for them. Lynch also says that Apple News Plus did not hurt their own paywall subscription. So people aren't switching to it and leaving them behind. Yeah, that's not. Uh, that doesn't surprise me, actually. Mm-hmm. Oh, and also for the Black Friday weekend, uh, Apple is offering a three-month trial instead of a one-month trial to U.S. and Canadian subscribers. So that's good. Is that is that? Oh, it's Cyber Monday as we're recording this. My favorite holiday that includes the word cyber. Um, I don't know if it's uh, continuing to be offered or not, but uh, yeah, it is interesting. Re- regardless, it is it is interesting that 
they are doing a three-month trial, right? Mm -hmm. Just like, please sign up. Like, we'd love it if you would. Um, Do you think that this is something that can realistically be turned into something better? Because at this point, I really feel like it is just waiting to be bundled. Yeah, well, I think I think bundling it will make it better because it'll make it a better value. I, I don't know if that'll work for the publishers, though, right? Um, I would say... You'd hope that oh, in a bundle situation that Apple would cut their own cut. You would, you would hope. So I think that there's probably something Apple could do here that would work. I'm not 100% sure about that. I don't even want to say properly. There, there might be. A system here where Apple makes a service that works for publishers and it works for Apple. I am afraid that the current structure of this is designed to work for Apple. And I just don't, I feel like if Apple wants to be in this business, it that's great. Um, it can it can throw off a little bit of revenue for them and also make the experience of using an Apple device better potentially than the competition. They've got that potentially going for it. I, but I feel like it's going to require at this point it's going to require somebody at apple to admit that this is just broken and doesn't work and that the initial connect uh, conception was a failure and that they need to go back to the drawing board and who would that be because who who came up with this idea and who instituted it and who is going to is eddie q going to say wow i really screwed this up we need to start again um i hope so because i think one of the big problems with companies in general not just Apple, but including Apple, is this um, reluctance to accept that something is just a failure and to move on from it and a little bit too much pride. And, um, you know, this Apple News Plus, I'm not quite ready to call it the butterfly keyboard of services, but it's close. Like, I don't think it's going to work. I don't think it's going to work for anyone in the long term. I, I, it doesn't work for customers. It doesn't work for publishers. Maybe it works for Apple, although it seems like not well enough for them to not do some free trial, extended free trials to get people into it. I just, I, I think they could, I think tweaking it is not going to work. I guess that's the way I'll put it. I, I think this needs to be broken and reconceived, and I doubt they're going to do that. So can it work? Uh, maybe. Will it work? I'm doubtful because I I think it would require Apple to admit that it um that they made some big mistakes up front with it and that that didn't work and that they need to try again and I don't know who that would be and how they would do that but it just seems broken to me. So talking about services that I th- I think well I think this one is in the complete opposition to Apple News and that it was a surprise at the quality that we have gotten is Apple Arcade. So yeah. Apple Arcade has been around for a few months now, and you said to me, why don't we talk about some of the games we've been playing, because you were maybe looking for some recommendations as well. So um, right. I want to give you some of the games that I've been playing, some that I still want to play, and then we could talk about maybe our overall thoughts. Sure. So I've only I've only been really diving into a small handful of games, and I really want to get into more. I just I haven't had the time to put into Apple Arcade games because there's been some console games that I've been wanting to play recently. Um, but the games that I've spent the most time with uh, is uh, Grindstone, which is a matching puzzle game with some action elements. It's a fun little game. It's made by Cappy Games, who are a pretty cool game developer. Um, so you know like these games where you like you have to like match up a bunch of colors, you know, in like a grid. You get like a 
I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that it's like, not like, but kind of like Bejeweled, I guess, in, in that idea, you know. It's like that, but it's got some action kind of elements to it and RPG-like elements that's kind of fun. Uh, Cards of Darkness is another one. It's a card-based strategy game, which is, I think, even more difficult to explain, but was made by Zach Gage, who's made many of my favorite iOS oh. games of all time. Yeah, Cards of Darkness is great. I have played it. I love it. It is a complicated concept, although it starts you off fairly slowly. Um, I I hit a roadblock in terms of gameplay and stopped, so I was really enjoying it for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And then the difficulty level ramped up very quickly for me to the point where I, I hit some levels that I simply couldn't beat. And so if my... The complex. I appreciate the complexity of it. I feel like it gets too complicated too fast, and I feel like um, the roles that the various cards have are complicated and not entirely obvious. Like I completely didn't understand. I still don't entirely understand some aspects of the way some of the cards work, and uh, it got me. It, it just was at some point. I just hit the wall and was so frustrated, and I gave up. And it's a shame. And I feel like there could be something there that that there's something there that is is missing that it could be better. Because I, I really got into it until I hit the wall, and I think I hit the wall because um, I'm misunderstanding some aspects of the game. But when I try to figure out what I'm misunderstanding and what it means, and I will admit I didn't go on a Google search, um, although the. A little side note, by the way, one of the challenges of a lot of these Apple Arcade games is because they are of limited appeal, because they're mostly just on Apple Arcade, not always, but a bunch of them are primarily Apple Arcade games and nothing else. What I found is that a lot of the resources that you find for games on the internet aren't there for these games, uh, a lot of these games, because Mm -hmm. they're new and... They're only for people who are doing Apple Arcade, or that's the primary audience for them. So uh, I didn't look up how I could figure out what is wrong with my conceptions of Cards of Darkness, and maybe there's stuff there now that wasn't there a month ago. But um, it's too bad because, like, I, I, I literally I was I was playing it all the time, and then I hit the brick wall, and I just that was it, and I haven't played it since. I wouldn't say I've hit the brick wall, but I do find it difficult. But I enjoy playing it when I have a lot of time. But it is a game that, it on the surface to me, it kind of looks like, oh, just jump in and play a level whenever you want. But I can't play it like that. I have to really devote time to it to actually really work out what I'm doing. Like, I have to be in a situation where I'm getting into a groove. If I'm not getting into a groove, then I can't I can't focus on the game well enough. You know what I'm saying? Yep. yep. Like it, it, it takes a lot more thought for me than I had initially expected when I saw it kind of like on the surface. Right. Uh, what the Golf, which is a game that I actually don't really want to spend a ton, a ton of time explaining because explaining it can spoil it. It is a golf game, but is nothing like any golf game you would expect or ever play before. It is absolutely hilarious and fantastic, and it's one of my very favorites, actually. I will go further and say, much to my surprise, What the Golf is my favorite Apple Arcade game. I completed the entire linear storyline and went back and completed. I ended up getting to like 98%. Wow. Basically, there are like three holes that I I can't get through at the highest difficulty because I just can't. Like, 
they're the three that I'm like, I don't even know how I would, would win this level. And I gave up. So I didn't, I didn't a hundred percent it, but I came very close. And if you know me, I am not a go back and do a hundred percent person. I no. just, I'm not, I'm not, but it just every level, every permutation of every level, hilarious. loved it. And I'm not a golf game person. Uh, by but it's any not means. a golf game. But it's not really a golf game. In fact, no. I would say it's a it is a satire, and not just of golf games, but of all games, and yet also a great game. So, cannot recommend What the Golf highly enough. I like that it really has a like show your friends mode, which is just genius. Because sometimes yeah. I want to show it to people, and like I opened the game up because I was going to show Adina, and it was like right there. It said show your friends, and I was like, did you? video game you are genius because you know this is a game that you have to show people for them to understand it right yeah and to, to have it so you can play through some of the weirder levels just there it's it's very very clever it's very very yep. clever um what else have we got on this list so uh sayonara wild hearts rhythm based mm-hmm. action game this one probably got like the, the most uh critical acclaim from the original lineup you know people yep. really going wild for this game and it's on a bunch of different platforms it's really great to play on ios uh it is mm, it's much more comfortable with a controller but it's not it is necessary uh but it, it is better to play uh, i have found that if you struggle with the touch controls you can change the sensitivity of what swiping will do in the game like swiping left or right you can change the sensitivity of that uh, i found that that helped um but it is better to play with a controller this is a good one to play on the apple tv yeah sure. so this this is my story here is that i found it unplayable on my ipad and mm-hmm. so i put it on the apple tv and i got a um I got a controller and I paired it and I played it and it was much more playable and enjoyable and I played a couple of levels and I have never gone back to play it on the Apple TV because the truth is I don't do a lot of turning on the, on the TV when it's just me and I can play video games. Yeah, I, yeah. It more often happens on, on my iPad that my iPad is my primary gaming device and I had a very, very, very hard time playing. I just wasn't enjoying it. So uh, it looks great. It sounds great. Um, there's a lot to be said for it, uh, but I have kind of just never gotten over the hump with Sayonara Wild Hearts. In a similar vein for me, iOS gaming happens on my iPhone. Like 90% of the time I'm playing games on my iPhone if I'm ever playing a game on iOS. So the games that are more optimized for larger screens, like Sayonara Wild Hearts, are the ones that I'm not playing as often because... Mm. It's not as good on the phone, and I'm more likely to play games on my phone. So, uh, The Pinball Wizard is another one. It is a pinball game, but also like a dungeon crawling game. It's super fun. Like There are these little levels, and you have pinball mechanics to defeat enemies, and you go from level to level. It's a very, very clever kind of like subversion on the pinball genre. Uh, so I, I actually really like this, because I enjoy pinball games a lot too, especially on iOS, so this one's good. Um, so I recommend that. I didn't love it. Uh, it's okay. it's you know it's based on a really dumb joke that it then takes literally and I thought it was okay but I I played it very briefly and then I was just like yeah and I passed it by. I have a list of games I still want to play I haven't uh-huh. yet. Uh, Mini Motorways, which is the sequel to Mini Metro, which I'm assuming you have put time into this. I have. I like it a lot, but but. I it, it's it it could be better. It's I hope it gets an update. I hope they consider some of their gameplay. This, this is the question with a lot of games I have is like Cards of Darkness. It's like, is there something they could do to alter this to make it better and and make players like me not get frustrated? 
And will they? Like, are they like, no, it's fine. It's fine the way it is. And I feel the same way from about Mini Motorways, which is good, but um, like Mini Metro, first off, it could it could stand to have a, an endless game um, where you just keep on adding roads and it keeps on adding houses and you just kind of keep going and and you can't fail because it's it is not just a game it is what they used to call um i think this came from the from will wright the creator of sim city back in the day a a software toy it's a toy you can just keep playing with it and it's soothing and fun and it's not about winning or losing it's just kind of drawing out the map and seeing what happens um also i think there's some fundamental like problems with the gameplay um stuff gets placed in weird places that make it that that are not realistic for a city simulator and i think if you're going to pretend that this is you're making it a city having a giant uh uh giant uh like big box uh, store open where its only entrance is on the water away from all the roads it's like why would you do that like no nobody would do that and it's just because I think they didn't program in any intelligence, nor did they make the rule that you could connect it once at any point and that that would be where it would build from. Like, it's little stuff like that where I feel like uh, it just, it makes it feel, it makes the game feel unfair in a way um, and less real. And I think that, that when you're playing it, that takes some of the joy out of it. And it is supposed to be a game that is is joyful to play. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, it's not... I don't like it as much as Mini Metro, but it's got a lot of potential. I think it could potentially be better than Mini Metro, but they need to do more work on it, and I'm not sure they ever will. So, yeah, that's kind of like the um, the the real thing about these types of games with these games on Apple Arcade, I should say. What is going to happen? Like, I mean, my, right. our assumption is they have a deal with Apple, like. Does Apple give them a revenue cut? If they do, that incentivizes upgrading. But if Apple just gave them an amount of money up front and the agreement was make sure the game doesn't break, then maybe there aren't going to be new features. It, I think it really depends on what that looks like. Because if it was an upfront payment, why would you keep going in and fixing it if there's no more money? But we don't know. We don't know what these deals were like, so... It's just like an interesting thing to keep an eye on as time goes on. Like, will Apple Arcade games get updated with more levels? I don't know. I have none of the games that I've played that has happened to yet. So I'm keen to see what happens there. Uh, Exit the Gungeon is a game uh, that I've been having my eye on. Um, It is... uh, It's difficult to explain, but it's like a riff on a... It's like a sequel to another game. Um, It's effectively a... It's like a like a dungeon crawling game. So you're going from level to level. You're actually going up. You're like trying to get out of a dungeon, and it's called was like a bullet hell game. It's just like firing tons and tons of bullets at lots and lots of monsters. It looks fun. It's 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 a game that I've had my eye on for a while because it comes from a great publisher. Uh, so that's yes. one that I've had my eye on. So I have a uh, a special uh, guest review of it, which is that this is a game that my son has been playing for a while. Mm-hmm on uh on console i see that's enter the gungeon oh this is oh this is like a sequel it's a sequel oh interesting well i will say for enter the gungeon uh he thinks it's great yeah that, that's <laughs> right? why because like i i haven't a played winner. Enter the gungeon but i know people love it so i've been wanting to play exit the gungeon because it's like a sequel to it basically which is like yeah. built for ios where enter the gungeon was built for, for platforms and really the biggest appeal of it is that it is a retro style 
game. The graphics are all pixel art. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's uh, it's adorable. Overland is a game that I have known about for a long time. It is a uh, post-apocalyptic mystery point-and-click type game. Uh, it's just very beautiful, and I've wanted to play this one for a while. Again, still haven't been able to. Okay. Uh, Possessions, which is a puzzle-like game in what is like referred to as a zen style i've played a few games like this where you're like exploring a room or exploring an object to solve a puzzle um this one just looks very cute and it's published by noodle cake who published uh super stick man golf yeah um, i started playing this and kind of got bored okay i can see that because i think it's kind of like a very chill right so it's like mm-hmm. a very chill chill game uh guildlings this is probably the next game that i'm going to get into um, it is an adventure game, like an RPG game, uh, which has been developed by uh, one of the individuals was the person who created my favorite iOS game of all time, Threes. Mm-hmm. Nothing like Threes. Uh, it is more of like an RPG point and click type game. Uh, but I've heard very, very good things about this game from like friends and family members. So I, I really, really want to get into this next. That This is probably the next one on my list. Uh, and then Outlanders as well, which is a, you mentioned like SimCity earlier. It is like a town building sim game um, with like, it's like a little village, like a little farming town. I like games like this a lot. This is a genre that I enjoy um, on iOS, like a, kind of like a SimCity or whatever. But for years, these games have been full of in-app purchases, right? Pay to speed up this and pay to upgrade this. So I'm keen to see what a game on Apple Arcade that has this type of mechanic would look like. So mm-hmm. there's some of the games that we've been playing and that I've had my eye on. Um, I think we would both love recommendations from the Upgradients for stuff that we may have missed that's worth playing. Um, so you should tweet those to us. But I think that, honestly, like for $5 a month, £5 a month or whatever it is, this is just a fantastic deal, Apple Arcade. There is so much good stuff. And they're adding new games like every week nearly. Uh, I think that this has turned out to be a great service because... You know, I've found five, six games that I've liked out of it. I mean, I would have paid each of those. You know, I would have given a few dollars for each of them. So I feel like I'm getting my money's worth from it. Yeah, I'm I'm a little more negative than that. I'd say I'm on the fence about it. I think the launch uh, apps were great. And I found a bunch that I really enjoyed. And I, I was able to just sort of luxuriate in playing all those. And there were so many of them. And I kind of moved my way through them. And if there was one, like a good example of possessions, one where, where it just sort of didn't grab me, I was like, all right, moving on. I'm going to go to the next one. Um, because there were so many. However, since launch, I've always felt like the, the big question was going to be after launch, what's it like? What what are the new games going to be that, that are rolling out and how are they going to maintain? And I think the truth is I have yet to find a post-launch game that interested me. So it's early yet and the launch titles were really, uh, really strong. And there were lots of them. And there were lots of them. But I'm... That's where I am is... Okay. Uh, I, I, so if people have recommendations, I'd love to hear them. Um, I think given where you and I are, I'm, I'm tempted to say that we should revisit this every so often and maybe even dare I say, can you do a podcast where you challenge your co-hosts to do, to, to do something? I don't think so. Not without horrific trademark infringement. 
Oh, I see. Well, because I was thinking maybe we could challenge each other to like play a specific game and then talk about well, it. Well, we could challenge ourselves. Maybe, maybe we could we could do that. But th- this is my challenge right now: is is finding uh, is make making Apple Arcade worth it? Because for me, post launch, I have not been impressed, and some of that may be the way that Apple's marketing it. Like they do have a new this week area, um, but for whatever reason, I go there and I'm like, Meh, and and then I kind of move on. So. Sometimes you need you need the personal recommendation. So tweet at Jason L at iMike I am if you have games that we have not mentioned that you have put time into and you really enjoy. Uh, it would be great if you can to say very quickly what you like about that game rather than right. just tweeting the game. Uh, so let us yes. know. And then we can maybe follow up on some games that we found that maybe otherwise have gone a little under the radar. Ooh, yeah, no. that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And if we really want to play a game, then you and I can agree on a game and then we'll we'll play by Monday. Yes, we'll do that. It's just an idea. We just can call the idea. segment something something like that. A something weekly you've been, Apple you've Arcade been Challenge. Out. I don't know. Whatever, we'll work on it, yeah. This episode is also brought to you by FreshBooks. FreshBooks can help you save time with their super simple cloud accounting software. If you are someone who sends invoices, if you're on your own business, if you're a freelancer, if you're working on projects, Having time saved is a very important thing because you your time is your money, right? You are any time that you spend doing something that isn't the thing that you do that makes you the money could potentially be time wasted, time better spent in other places, especially if you're, I don't know, opening up pages or Word and typing out an invoice and then sending it by email and then having to chase it up with the person. You don't want to do that. Get FreshBooks because FreshBooks will make all of this easier. FreshBooks will automate this stuff for you. It's so easy to get an invoice sent with FreshBooks. It's like that. I love this system. Everything's pre can be pre-filled. Everything is like saved. So if you've sent out a line item before, you can have just type in like one character and you can just have it all pre-filled again. Have the amounts filled in. You can even automate invoices on a like maybe a monthly basis or whatever. So if you're billing somebody the same amount every month, you can automate that. You can automate late payment reminders. So if somebody's had an invoice sent and they're not paying it, you can say, oh, after this amount of days, send them a chaser. And you can also see if somebody's even opened your email and your invoice and taken a look at it. I love FreshBooks for these features. They simplify tasks like invoicing, tracking expenses, and also getting paid online. If you ever send invoices and you're not yet using FreshBooks, please give it a try. Go get it your hands on an unrestricted 30-day free trial, no credit card required, by going to freshbooks.com slash upgrade. And if you sign up, please tell them that you heard about FreshBooks from this very show. Our thanks to FreshBooks for their support of this show and Relay FM. That's freshbooks.com slash upgrade to check it out and sign up for your free trial. A few weeks ago, Jason, you said you had some thoughts on CarPlay, and I wanted to kind of—I wanted to get a check-in from you about those. I thought I would also, because as somebody who does not have a car and as somebody who's <laughs> only ever seen CarPlay in use once, I kind of forgot a lot about what CarPlay did. Uh, it is effectively a service that can be wireless, or you can plug in and you get access to a bunch of features uh, from your iPhone. So this could be like text messages and maps and calls and all that kind of stuff. Uh, iOS 13 added a bunch more features, uh, like for example, the ability to see multiple things on the screen at once. It's called the multifunction dashboard. This was something that didn't do before. Um, So it lets you see a map, what's playing, and also turn-by-turn information on one screen rather than just like just looking at the map or just looking at your podcast app or whatever. That seems like a pretty good upgrade. 
Yeah, I think that's the the biggest thing about iOS 13 CarPlay. So to back up, Mike, uh, the way CarPlay works is you attach it to a, a car, and then mm-hmm. the car's screen becomes... And then it will play. You're like iPhone, uh, kind of. And then there's also Android Auto, which will do that on Android phones. And it means that you don't have to rely on the terrible, mostly don't have to rely on the terrible software that is in the entertainment system of whatever car you're in. And um, I have, I I spent the the last, the reason I mentioned this a while ago is that I have spent some time in rental cars with CarPlay. And then I also have a CarPlay system now in, um, in the car that my daughter often drives, but since she's been at college, I've been driving. So I've spent a lot more time with CarPlay and iOS 13. So I've, I've been able to spend more time with it than I think I have ever done before. Like all of my previous CarPlay time put together would not match even close to match the CarPlay time in the last three months that I've had. So the dashboard thing is huge, right? Like the dashboard thing, instead of having one app, you can have this very, I find a very pleasant dashboard view where you've got your now playing essentially of whatever audio is playing. You've got a uh, navigation window is showing you the map. And uh, and then it's got like another tile that will be showing you. It could be like a series suggestion or it can be turn by turn of like what your next turn is. And it's really nice to have the uh, the now playing and the map on the same screen. I like it a lot. Um, could they do more? Of course they could do more, but it's like a good, uh, it, it's a huge upgrade from what was there before, which was very much like you're just in this app and then you're in this other app. And like literally, because it, the way it used to be is that when you switched apps in CarPlay, it would switch apps on your phone, which means you couldn't have the passenger looking through your phone while you were using CarPlay as the driver because every time they move to a different app, the CarPlay would change. And every time you tap something on CarPlay, the app would change. And it was very bad. And in iOS 13, that's gone as well. It's completely independent. CarPlay is happening on the screen and uh, and then you can use the phone uh, if you're a passenger in any way you want. So that is great. The dashboard stuff is great. Um, I really like, and not a new feature, but I really like the um, toggle. There's a quick one-tap toggle between ETA and um, or, or turn-by-turn and non-ETA or non-turn-by-turn modes, which is really great because, of course, what you want is um, if I'm going someplace that I don't know how to get there at the at the far end but i'm leaving my house like i know how to get to the freeway from my house right i know how to go across a bridge from my house i'm well aware it's late in the game where i start to have those questions of like now where do i get off the freeway where do i turn mm-hmm. and so with that with that toggle you you go and it'll tell you your ETA and it'll tell you like where you're where you're uh, where you're going in general and that's helpful to have like you know you're on the path and it's going to take, now you're going to get there at, at 138. Now you're going to get there at 129, right? That's all good, but it's not talking to you and telling you things you already know. And then when you get closer, if you need, um, first off, it makes it nice. You can just do that even though you don't need directions just so you can see the ETA. That's very convenient. Yeah. But if you tap it, then it jumps into turn by turn. And I found that very useful. Oh, that's cool. Likewise, likewise, the other direction, if I'm someplace and I need to get home, I can say, take me home and it will get me home. But at some point along the way, 
I will have reached the point where like, I know how to get home from here. And then you tap it and it stops talking to you. Um, so not a new feature, but like something that I've really uh, gotten into using since using CarPlay and that I like a lot because it gives you like the benefits of having an onboard map computer thingy without it interrupting you to tell you to like make the right at the light next to your house to get home. That's and this dumb. is an Apple Maps only? That's, uh, that's, well, that, I think it's a, a map feature. So I, I use Apple Maps because I live in California where Apple Maps is good. I don't know if Google Maps has that feature. It may well have that feature, mm-hmm. but it definitely is an Apple Maps and that's where I'm using it. But you can actually choose, can't you, on CarPlay if you want Apple Maps and Google Maps? You can use Google Maps on CarPlay. Yeah, yeah for sure. And you can use, there are different audio apps that you can use now. I mean, I mostly am just using um, Overcast Music and Apple Maps. That's pretty much all I'm using in, in CarPlay. And during baseball season, um, I was using the MLB app, but it didn't get really updated for iOS 13 and didn't work quite right, which was unfortunate um, and I think could be a lot better. That's that's one of the things that I don't know how much of the limitation is CarPlay and how much of the limitation is just app implementation. Like Overcast doesn't do chapter markers in CarPlay. And I don't know whether it can. I, I should ask Marco, but um, my guess is that it can't because that's a sort of a standard now playing thing. But it's one of those things where I would really like it to show me the chapters. And for Major League Baseball, I know that there are, Apple wants safety in cars. So I know Apple doesn't want to put like too much data on the screen. But that said, the Major League Baseball app should really show the score and the inning of the game you're listening to. And it doesn't. And it's really frustrating. Even my satellite radio in my uh, nine-year-old minivan shows me the score of the game I'm listening to. (laughs) So um, I would like, you know, the apps could be better, but I think some of that may be limited by CarPlay and some of it is just limited by the interest in the app developer to update CarPlay. But but still, it's pretty good. There's, oh, um, also new in 13, there's a light mode, which I turned on and then immediately turned off because Mm. it was very bright and I didn't want it. But there's a light mode. It it always ran in dark mode. So they added a light mode and then they added the option to run in sort of light in the day and dark in the night if you wanted to do it that way. But I kind of like the dark mode in the the car all the time. Um, There's calendar in there now, which can be useful. And this kind of, it's also tied in with the, like the series suggestion stuff. So you can see what's on your schedule and it's going to recommend things for you. And that's, and also get directions kind of nice. to an event, which is clever. Yeah. Right. right. Like, it's like, when I saw it, I was like, why would you want a calendar in the car? It's like, Oh, because you may have like, this is the location. Yeah. And the easiest way for you to get that is just to tap locate, like to go there from the event. Right. Yeah. Ideally you would, I mean, yeah, you can do that. Um, I've also found that series suggestions is actually pretty good. And even in the mm-hmm. maps app, I think of saying, I think this is where you are going next. And then you can just tap and it's in there. Cause of course, if you're in CarPlay mode, adding a uh, location is a pain. The best thing to do is probably to, to trigger voice and say where you want to go because you're not going to want to type it or whatever. So, uh, but it'll look in your calendars uh, and say, I think this may be, yeah, where you want to go but you can also open the calendar and say that's that's my that's my next event um and yeah it's it's just it shows that they are they have made some good progress i think with this from it being kind of a halfway <laughs> uh version to to having it be um having it be a lot better than that do you think carplay is important to apple um i i think it is because i think Honestly, I think we've reached the point now where having uh, your phone be able to drive the entertainment system in your car 
is almost table stakes. Like even on the best, not every car has CarPlay and Android Auto, but like even on the best cars, I think the entertainment systems aren't very good. And there's an argument to be made that by the makers of the entertainment system sort of saying, look, we're not going to get in the way. We know all of your music, all of your podcasts, we, you know, your, your GPS navigation and all your favorites and your calendar, all of that's on your phone. We're, we're not going to even bother. We just are going to talk, let your phone handle it. All of that stuff. And, and maybe we'll overlay all the car controls. Although even there, I would say that there seems to be a movement to have more and more kind of like support in the between car controls and these operating systems so that they can they can sense that this car has this certain control and can use it in the UI. And there's also weird shaped like different screens mm-hmm. that are like in the car. Presumably like heads up displays will go in this direction too. Like I feel like this is a trend is that car makers know that people have all their stuff on their phones and so they're i i think over time what's not going to have happen is car makers reasserting that they want complete control and they want to block out your phone i think they're going to build around the fact that you're going to connect your phone to your car and, and including interface stuff like this that's richer than just like a usb uh, you know uh, music library collection and so I think at that point, like Apple has to do this because this is the world we live in now. And I also, Apple wants to take control of that experience as much as it can. So um, yeah, I think I think it's here to stay just because I, I don't think this, this concept is going to go away. Yeah, I think that it's at this point, they have to keep doing it because Android do it too, right? Like you, you get certain situations you find yourself in and it's almost like an arms race, right? It's like, well, they, they have to keep it going now, even if they didn't want to. And I think it's, yeah, table stakes is the way I put it, but it's like, Mm -hmm. yes, Android is going to do it. Apple's going to do it. The car makers know they're going to do it. And it feels like we've reached that status quo now where it's really more like the car makers are going to innovate uh, where they want, but they're also going to know that the phone is there. And either in, I, I think we saw some indication with some of the updates in iOS 13 to CarPlay that Apple is building some features into CarPlay specifically because car makers have said this would be a thing that we would want. And the the like the weirdly shaped screens is a good example of that, which is, you know, we've got a screen that's a different shape and we want to put a CarPlay interface in it. So what do we do? And Apple built that feature so that you can yep. do that. You know, weird shaped screens, multiple screens. Um, you know, I think all of that is on the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that that if I'm running CarPlay or Android Auto, um, that's like top part of my job is just talking to the car makers and, and like, you're all, you're literally, you are all partners in this because you are, you know, CarPlay doesn't exist without a car, but the car makers know that people have their phones and they're not going to be going into their cars without their phones. So what I'm saying, Mike, is that, uh, it's nice to have CarPlay. I, I never had it. I had a, I had a CarPlay box that I wired into a, plug Mm -hmm. that could sit on my desk which is really not the same because it doesn't go anywhere so it's nice to to have in jamie's car to have the uh to have that now so So i've seen it in a few cars with friends and it does seem like yeah okay this is probably the experience that i would want because the applications that i would most likely use are there right because it is worth noting right it's not an open platform there are third-party apps but they're under much more strict controls from apple about the approval and stuff which i actually agree with i don't i wouldn't want it to be an open system 
it just seems wild to me. It's, it's there's too many. Yeah. You, you have to have these things really well reviewed for safety concerns. You don't want distracting stuff on the screen and all that kind of for stuff. For sure. Yeah, you don't want some random like video app to play video, which is like illegal. Like because mm-hmm. there's legal reasons why. That said, I think sometimes it's taken too far. The MLB app is a good example of that, where mm-hmm. like. I think they could probably put more data on the screen about the game you're currently listening to. And let's not forget, CarPlay's not just for the driver, it's for the passenger. And as a passenger in a car with CarPlay, you know, I would especially like more data on my screen, not video or anything like that, but like for a baseball game to have like a line score and a little bit of uh, information. I think that would be okay. And, and and you do have to draw a line somewhere because you don't want to be distracting the driver. That said, you have a big touchscreen with a bunch of buttons where you're saying, you know, forward and previous and pause and there's a menu button. Like, it is inherently distracting and I'm not sure you couldn't put a little more data on some of these apps without it becoming a, a huge distraction. All right, it's time for some hashtag ask upgrade. But today we will thank our friends over at Smile for their support. Hashtag ask upgrade. We're going to talk to you about Text Expander. You can unlock your productivity with Text Expander and make everything that you are repeatedly typing available to you wherever you have a keyboard. For Mac users upgrading to Catalina, Text Expander, ready and working, of course. And it's available on Mac OS, Windows, Chrome, iPhone, and iPad. Text Expander works everywhere you type. In every application, whether it's Word, Google Docs, in your email app, in web forms, and so much more. You can send more emails and personalize every single email with Text Expander's fill-in and pop-up features. Text Expander's for Teams helps your new employees get up to speed faster as well because all of the things that need to type right away are already there in the snippets that you have been collecting with your best writers. I love Text Expander. I've used it for years. I use Text Expander for Teams with our team here at Relay FM. It's a small group of us, and sometimes we need... Uh, to be able to type things consistently. Actually, just before this show today, uh, I made a change to a snippet, and I was able to just make that change and know that it's for our invoicing process, that the next time an invoice is sent out, the information that I need to be updated will be updated without me needing to tell anybody about it, because when the snippet is fired, it will all be correct, because I changed it. And I don't need to tell everyone, oh, hey, everybody, you now need to address this invoice to this person, because it's in Text Expander because I know that they're all of these snippets are used by the team, it's going to be updated for them because it will sync in the background. Genius. I love it. Upgrade listeners can get 20% off their first year of Text Expander by going to textexpander.com slash podcast to learn more right now and sign up. That is textexpander.com slash podcast. If you've been meaning to try it out, now is the time because you get that 20% off. Our thanks to Text Expander for their support of this show and Relay FM. Let's do some hashtag ask upgrade questions. And the first one this week comes from Eric. This is relevant to Cyber Monday. Eric wants to know, two home pods or a Sonos Play Bar for home theater use? What so, do you think? I use two home pods for my TV all the time. <laughs> um, but you can only use it with Apple TV. That's for the exactly HomePod right. set up to work, and it doesn't yep. work of all apps. It doesn't work of YouTube, for example. And it's very frustrating because if you have it set up like we do, so we watch, I don't know, say we're watching something from the Apple TV app or we watch something from the Netflix app or whatever, we can set it in uh, kind of the settings in the little control center menu that they now have on Apple TV. We can set the audio output 
to be the HomePods, and it sounds fantastic. It's like a great way to get a kind of like pseudo surroundy sound, like room filling system. It lo- I love it, right? Like it works great for us. I don't want to put a 5.1 arrangement in my home. I just don't want to do that. Um, but the HomePods work great. But then if I then want to watch a YouTube video, the audio will come out of the television and the volume will be changing the volume for my HomePods if I turn the volume up and down. Yep. So, so it's not yeah, perfect. This is, this is what I was going to say is HomePod is great if you are entirely all in on the Apple TV lifestyle and apparently don't use YouTube on the Apple TV because uh, that's weird. Why is it not outputting properly? Don't know, man. That seems like a bug. That seems but like a bug. But it's been that way for as long as I've had two HomePods. Which it's is so like, weird. Yeah. So um, that is a very narrow, and Mike has made it even narrower. I'd say, I'd say it's not really a good uh, replacement for uh, for something like a play bar nope. or some other sound bar. Like it's not because unless you literally have no other devices hooked up to your TV than an Apple TV, and then then every other every other instance of this, it doesn't work. It all falls apart. So don't is what I'm saying. I think I, I wrote an article about this. I would love to see Apple use HomePod tech to make a sound bar because I think that would be really good. And then it could consume input from other devices. And, you know, that would be really nice, but that doesn't exist. So for now, you want something like the play bar or a different sound bar or some other kind of audio system attached to your TV. I was, it's funny. Our friend uh, Alex Cox was saying how their speakers are shot on their TV. And so they're in a market, the market for a new TV. And I thought to myself, uses the speakers on their TV. <laughs> I, I haven't used the speakers on my TV in so long. I do. Um, and I don't really recommend it. There are better speakers than the, whatever TV you're using. The speakers aren't very good. That's the, that's my message to you. So get something, but probably don't get HomePods. Yeah. My, my kind of, kind of rule, like ruling on the HomePod things for the TV is they're good if you already have two HomePods. Do not buy two HomePods for this. We didn't buy yeah. our HomePods for this. I bought the HomePods so just the music would sound better. But you get uh, a bonus, which is you can make your sound better sort of manually if yeah. you want to. Yeah, but don't and buy it And then you put it that. back to the TV speakers. It's, not, yeah. it, it's a good bonus, but it, it, it's not... Like like video games, you can't play video games with this system, right? Like you can't play PlayStation, you can't right. play PlayStation games. You can't even play Apple Arcade games, I don't think, with this. Uh, just because of know. the latency. I've tried it. Yeah, that's right. Because what's happening is that there's latency in even in AirPlay 2, there's latency, which Mm -hmm. is why you ideally don't want that. Yep. Yep. Jeffrey asks, I'm a fellow weather geeker, just like Jason. Uh, How many, Mm. Jason, how many weather stations do you have in your home? And what do you find is the most accurate weather app? So I asked Jeffrey on Twitter what he meant by this, and he didn't answer me. Um, I only have one weather station, and I keep it outside where the weather is. (laughs) So if he is asking, how many weather like things do I have in my house? So. Oh, well, I guess there's technically two weathers. Okay, here, let me tell Aha! you. So I've got, I've got maybe Jeffrey wins. Um, I have a, a Davis Vantage Pro weather station. In It's attached to the side of my roof. I have had it since 2004. Um, and I changed a couple of parts out um, this summer. But it it uh, it still works, which is amazing. Um, and then so that transmits to a console that's on the inside of my house. That's a Davis little console that's got all the readouts of all the all the data. Um, it has a, an Ethernet port on it that's uh, uh, did not exist when I bought it, but they have since made a an Ethernet 
uh, adapter for it that you plug in and then it uh, it can relay all that data to the cloud. Um, I also have a piece of software called Weathercat that runs on my Mac that can talk directly to the to the console, the Ethernet-based console, and get the data directly from there before it even goes to the cloud. It's, it, it pings that and gets that data out. Um, that's generating uh, a web page that I can check from my computer. <laughs> I just went to the Weathercat website. This is software of a time. It is software of a time, but, you know, weather, weather stations are not... Uh, all the hot, cool, modern weather station software uh, is generally being done by app developers who, have, who are going to sell you a weather station, which is not what I have. I have an existing weather station from a time of 2004. And in fact, that shipped with a Java app on the Mac that was terrible. So when I found WeatherCat, it was very, 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 very good because it's actually a Mac app and it has a huge amount of data. I like that the WeatherCat website is using uh, the Leopard or Snow Leopard wallpaper as its background on the website, just showing you exactly when this software. I don't even use their templates. I actually use a uh, PHP template that I wrote myself like 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, so it's really of a time itself. But anyway, wow. it also outputs a, a, a text file with a lot of data in it. And that I've got a thing in my menu bar uh, using a, a little uh, tool called BitBar that uh, just reads that data file every minute and updates and parses it and then puts my the temperature and in this case how much rain we've had today in my menu bar um i have a uh cool gadget called a lemetric time steven's got one and it and i actually first saw it at uh at twit they've they've got one there um and it's like this little square that they say it's like a music player and stuff but it's really it's a clock but it's a programmable clock um that's on the internet and so i wrote a uh, you know a one line app for it that basically queries my weather station data and puts it on the screen so i have right below my tv there's a little black box with the current time and temperature um and then beyond that um i have i bought a little plastic uh gadget from ambient weather which is like put batteries in it and stick it outside um because i wanted the temperature in more places and i didn't really want a sophisticated internet-based um weather station display system everywhere in my house and for like 30 bucks or something on amazon i'll get you the link um i got these little ambient weather things that are basically on the inside of the house you get two or three they're little plastic things that show the current temperature and the current temperature outside and then there's a little plastic thing that you stick outside that measures the temperature and uh that that means that like because lauren was saying i you know i can't see all the way over to the little black box by the tv when i'm in the kitchen and i just put a little one of these things in the kitchen and so you can look and say is it cold outside how cold is it and that's it i love how much you care about the weather so there you go. I've got and the uh, and our friend uh, friend of the show Kieran Healy actually discovered that I have all this data historical data uh, on my weather station, and he made a bunch of uh, because he is a uh, data visualization professional. Um, wrote a book about it, and uh, he he made a bunch of graphs about my historical weather data. It's the best. It's amazing. Up, so please, thank you boy. to Kieran. What about that. the app yeah. though? Jeffrey wants to know about the app. Was the most accurate weather app where I live? relying on um on weather apps it doesn't work because um of the microclimates in the bay area they they are frequently 
deeply inaccurate because they're either measuring Sausalito or they're measuring San Rafael or they're measuring someplace that's not right where I live. So the most accurate weather app for me is Carrot Weather with the premium subscription that allows me to point it at a weather station, but which that, is my that weather seems station. Like that's how you would get the most accurate. Like in my mm-hmm. mind, is you need yeah. to have an application that will allow you to refine the source to the that's, most accurate source. That's right, right. And so, so that's what I use. Is I use Carrot Weather and their subscription, and then I pick my weather station from the weather station list, and then the temperature. The forecast is obviously coming from their forecast sources, but the current temperature on my Apple Watch mm-hmm. on my phone is the current temperature at my house. Love Carrot Weather. It's one of my favorite iOS apps. Yep. Really solid application. So there you go. Jeffrey See, showed you. I got to talk about it. Thank you, weather nerd or what, weather geeker, Jeffrey, for uh, letting me talk about the weather. Well, and ask, ask upgrade question picker Mike for picking it, putting it in the Thank document. you, question picker Mike. Got to throw your weather every now and yep. then. I know you love it. And well, it's I, been I raining, so it's a perfect time. We actually have some here. Jim asks, since I uh, since upgrading to iOS 13, my Series 0 Apple Watch will go flat most days. Prior to iOS 13, it was fine. What would you suggest for my situation? The Series 3 seems outdated already, so should I update to a Series 5? Wait for a Series 6? It does seem that the Series 5 has reported battery life issues too. So I would say, I feel pretty safe in guaranteeing you will get better battery performance from a Series 5 than your current Series 0, even if the Series 5 has battery issues i would say is also uh i think the battery life on a series 5 is fine but i hadn't used an apple watch in a long time right but i get all day battery life um i i recommend taking a look around for good deals across the holiday period now because you could i reckon you could probably get a good discount on apple watches even the series 5 one somewhere i wouldn't recommend necessarily waiting for a series 6 if you're using it every day and i bet from a series 0 to a series 5 you're going to be very happy, right? With the advancements in that, surely. Yeah, definitely. I I also don't really have issues with the battery. I don't know quite what the story is with that, but I feel I like think that that's was... been mostly cleared up now. Yeah, I think so. But there were, I mean, yeah, were some people having battery life problems, but I think the battery life inverted comma problem that they were having is they were now getting what apple said they were going to get in most instances rather than what they were getting before which was much longer than what apple quoted right the 18 hour battery life period Um, it seemed that there were some people that were having problems but i think that that mostly got uh mostly got cleared up by this point i think like 13.1 had some fixes for battery life problems uh with the apple watch so i recommend uh that you go ahead and just look at jim go go and look ahead at, at getting a new apple watch i think that you'll be very happy i like my apple watch i use it in the most stupid way anyone's ever used an apple watch by basically leaving in do not disturb mode all the time but i like it i think it's a pretty watch and I enjoy wearing it, but I don't really yeah. <laughs> really use it like an Apple Watch. Um, but that's okay. Such that's, is life. It, it, there are many different ways mm-hmm. to yeah. uh, to use a watch. It's doing things right. Like you know, I, I, yeah. I'm getting data. I can get data if I need it. I can be notified if I want to. But most of the time, when I'm wearing it, I am wearing it because I like the fashion of my of the white one. Ken asks: Is it safe to upgrade to iOS 13 or macOS Catalina? I think at this point, thirteen is is as good as it's gonna gonna be. Like it's it's fine. 
Yeah. And then Catalina, is it safe? Sure. Like, I don't, I'm not experiencing any major Catalina bugs. I, I don't think. But unless you need to update, like you need it, need it, need it. You can also wait, and you, the number one thing, as we said when it came out, is um, one thing they're not going to fix is that it doesn't run 32-bit apps anymore. So if you have software that's old and is not compatible with Catalina and may never be, like you, it's not safe, right? And you need to start planning. If You eventually will have to upgrade to Catalina or beyond mm-hmm. when you get a new Mac. And so you can buy, you can do what Mike did <laughs> and buy a Mac that's currently shipping, that was shipping before... Catalina was announced or before Catalina was released final, which means any Mac shipping today other than the 16-inch MacBook Pro, those will all run Mojave. So you could do that, but eventually time will march on and then that will die and you're going to be in a position where you need to update and your software that you're relying on will not come with you unless you put it in a virtual machine or unless you start now finding alternatives to it that you can upgrade to now and that will then run on your Mac when you upgrade it. So it's a, it's a process. And that's the story with Catalina is straight up update. If all your software is current, it's fine. And Patrick asked, I like this question. This is a weird question. I I like Uh weird questions. Patrick asked, am I overly paranoid for not using hotel USB ports to charge my iPhone or iPad? Um, I mean, it's a good. I, it's okay. It's good to be cautious. Always good yeah. to be cautious. Uh, I like when hotels have USB ports because it means I don't have to use a bunch of adapters when I'm uh, in other countries. The phone should be asking you if any data is trying to be accessed. Right? It's like, do you want to trust this computer or whatever? You trust or don't trust, and you still gain power from it. But I understand the cautiousness. I just plug them in anyway because I want the power, but what do you do? I, well, I don't travel. I travel with a charger, so I I generally don't do this, but I think that while there are security exploits that are out there in the world, Apple has, Apple has hardened iOS from a lot of them, right? Like you have to like trust a USB charger in order to, if it's, if it's trying to, connect via data like it will let you do dumb power without a problem but if it's more than that you actually need to say yes i trust this thing and don't trust it don't do that um but yeah i've, uh, I've in, noticed that like sometimes when i've been on a plane and you've got like the usb port and the in the like the headrest the seat in front of you and i plugged it in and said you want to trust this computer I'm like no no i don't no. it shouldn't be a computer well <laughs> it wants alone. I think it wants to, some of those, they're like, they want to read your music library and like yep. make it available using yep. the entertainment system or whatever. But what? You Why just, would no. I do that? I just, no. you know, I have my own headphones if I so, want to do that. So yeah. So what I would say is it's probably not that big a deal um, unless you're in a place, like if it's, if it's, I would say if it's sketchy, if it's like, I don't know if I trust this place. And this random USB port that's here. Yeah, sure. But I think overly paranoid, probably. All right, that wraps it up for Ask Upgrade and therefore this episode. So if you would like to send in a tweet with a question for us to answer on the show, just tweet with the hashtag Ask Upgrade and it may be included for future episodes. Hashtag Snell Talk to help us open an episode. If you want to vote in the Upgradies, go to upgradies.vote 
and you can submit your votes for the upgrades. We've had hundreds of responses already, which I'm very, very excited about. Um, So make sure you get those in. We don't have a closing date yet, but we will announce that with some time to spare. Um, I'm going to be working on that over the next few weeks uh, because it's very complicated to to amass the uh, nominations because people write them in uh, plain text. It makes it a tricky, tricky thing to do, but I've worked out a system by this point. But yeah, upgradies.vote. And if you're still in time, upgradeyourwardrobe.com to pick up some merch. We have all the great URLs over here on the Upgrade Podcast, don't we, Jason Snell? All the great links to weather hardware are in the show notes this week mike oh yeah all the great all the great links there too go to sixcolors.com for jason's work uh he is uh, at jsnell on twitter i am at i mike i am yke we'll be back next time thank you so much to squarespace fresh books and smile for sponsoring say goodbye jason snell goodbye mike early 